0: May I speak in the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I'd like to give you a question to ponder during the sermon, and the question is this. Where do you go when the wine gives out? It is striking that Jesus' first miracle happens at a joyous celebration of a wedding. If we were to perhaps write all this again and we were planning the way Jesus would reveal his glory for the first time, how would we have expected him to do so? How would we have expected him to reveal this sign to the world? Perhaps we would use the healing. Perhaps we would perhaps have Jesus raise somebody from the dead. That's pretty dramatic. Perhaps feed many hundreds of people who are hungry with a few fish and some loaves of bread. That's a good one. Perhaps he could spend his time more profitably by making a start on cleansing the temple, as he was to do later on in his ministry. There's a whole host of other ways that Jesus perhaps could have showed his glory to the world. But here he is at a wedding feast topping up the wine. There's something of the excess here in this first miracle happening at a wedding feast. Was it necessary? After all, the guests had had their fill of the hospitality on offer. They'd drunk all the wine. They'd literally drunk the vats dry. A Hebrew wedding could uh, take up to seven days. Surely they could have held back and thought, well, uh, we've got to make it last But here they are, the wine had gone. They had no more wine. Here is Christ's presence at the wedding feast. This is absolutely, 100% incarnational proof. Feasts and celebrations were important events in the communities of Jesus' day. These community feasts and joyous celebrations were times when they could acknowledge God's blessing on their lives. They could celebrate the great acts and deeds of God. They could celebrate God's faithfulness. They could look to the future with trust and hope for their redemption. For the wine to give out so soon, it would have been a sign of a reverse of God's blessing. In the scripture, abundance of wine is often a sign of God's blessing, and it would certainly be rooted in the imagination of God's people. The prophets foretold that there would be a a land flowing with milk and honey, and wine and blessing. It was a sign of God's great blessing for his people. And often wedding banquets in Scripture have been given as images to tell of God's redemption, salvation, and transformation. Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, speaks of us looking forward to that great marriage feast of the Lamb. The abundance of wine and joyful feasting is something we look forward to. So this first sign, this miracle represents and shows the true revelation of God's glory in Christ. It is a joyful event. Christ is our reason for our joyful celebration each week, each day in the Eucharist as we give thanks for God's blessing, his promises and hope of redemption. John the Baptist, when he spoke, of Jesus, uh, we we'll read further on in chapter 3 of John's Gospel. He says, The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. For this reason, he says, My joy has been fulfilled. Jesus himself speaks of the joy given by God. He says, I've said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy May be complete. Mary herself sings out, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. St. Paul exhorts us to rejoice in the Lord. Again I say, rejoice. At the very heart of that wonderful parable of the prodigal son, we see a feast thrown to celebrate that which was lost and now is found that which was dead but now is alive. And today as we prepare to celebrate together in the solemn feast of the Eucharist, we join in with all those in past ages and ages to come rejoicing in God's great provision. We take bread and wine and we anticipate the great feast of the Lamb in God's kingdom. Jesus not only restored the quantity of wine... Those wine vats, those water vats were filled to the brim. But he provided an increase in the quality. The steward said, you have kept the good wine until now. The normal protocol was to uh, give them the good wine. And as he says in the scriptures, uh, and when they're drunk, when they're tipsy, and not quite noticing what they're drinking, you serve the bad wine. But you've turned this upside down. You've decided to serve the best wine towards the end of the banquet. Joy and celebration are key indicators of a healthy church community. Is our community a joyful community? Perhaps when we have written our strategies and our five-year plans, when we've edited our tweets and posted our Facebook messages, when we've ensured good governance and prudent financial control, when we've chosen our music and planned our liturgy to the letter, when the coffee is hot and the cakes are tasty and fresh and the gift shop is open and the welcome is warm, is our community a place Of joy and celebration. As individual pilgrims and Christians, do our lives show forth the joy of God? Don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about that permanent fixed smiling expression that people think Christians have to have, or a whipped-up sense of celebratory worship that has often been described as happy-clappy, I'm certainly not talking about that. I'm talking about what the theologian Kresslinger says, that Christian feasting becomes a place where we embrace and cultivate a posture of gratitude, joyful celebration, which is cultivated in deeply spiritual practices. We must rediscover it as such, he says, Joyful feasting becomes a place where we remember God and his gift to us. So here in this wedding feast, it almost takes Jesus by surprise, where his mother says, they've run out of wine. And here's that interesting interaction. What has that got to do with me? But Mary says to the servants, do as he tells you. Somebody said, that joy is peace dancing. Joy is peace dancing. And I like that description description. The Lord's Supper is a place where we come as a community to experience Eucharist, thanksgiving, joy, which is peace dancing. A posture of gratitude. We come to broken bread, we come to wine outpoured, even as those who know brokenness and emptiness, pain and weakness. This is the most generous of feasts, because the best wine that Christ provides is his very self, poured out for us. That is the vintage. Of the wine we drink. The best. There is much that can remove the joy of our Christian lives. Worry. Grief. Loss. Hopes dashed. Fear. Physical frailty. The heartaches we carry day by day. None of these can be healed by a self-generated, fabricated sense of joy, but only by our roots deeply embedded in the life of Christ. Mary pointed to Christ. She said to the servants, Do as he tells you. The jars were filled with water, possibly between 80 and 120 litres each. There was much water that was turned into wine. The wine was tasted. The steward didn't know where it had come from. But it says in the Gospels, But the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. The ones who had been obedient to Christ's words, they knew where this wine had come from. The psalmist says, God gives us wine to gladden the human heart, oil to make the face shine, and bread to strengthen the human heart. We are a community of joy, joy amid suffering. You may feel you lack joy in your Christian life. You may feel that your wine vat has run dry. So back to the question. Where will you go when the wine gives out? May we all come to Christ, who provides an abundance of the best wine. Author of life divine, who has the table spread, furnished with mystic wine and everlasting bread, preserve the life thyself has given, and feed and train us up for heaven. May we be known as a joyful place for all people. Amen.